one of the perks of being in the education game is once a year in the spring, right as you're about to have the, the mental breakdown to end all mental breakdowns, they give you a week off. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man who may or may not have ended the lockout by threatening to send lewd pictures of himself directly to Rob Manfred, my brother, Mike. Uh, that was not a threat. That was a promise. Okay. That's a promise. <laughs> All right. I got him queued up, always ready to go. Manfred about got himself a, a look at the beauty. Okay. <laughs> Oh, there's just so much of it is the thing. <laughs> That's what he's going to say. He's going to say it's the full frame here. Yeah, yeah. We fill it. We fill know, that frame. Are what are those first? No, no, those aren't shorts. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's a real, it's a real sight to behold, but luckily that was averted. That threat worked. And now the lockout is over. So we'll discuss a little Woo-hoo! bit on this week's lockout episode. Ended. Back to baseball, y'all. And we're going to get all 162 games, just a slightly delayed, some double headers thrown in there. But on this week's episode of Royals Weekly, we're going to celebrate the end of that lockout, which we've already started. Mike, I'm sure, is three sheets of the wind already. Mm-hmm. Discuss two major deals the Royals have orchestrated in free agency so far and discuss all the big news coming out of spring training so far. But first, a programming note. Because the lockout has ended and the season has begun, Royals Weekly will now be Royals Weekly once again. That's right. From this point until the end of the 2022 season, we will drop a new episode of Royals Weekly every week. What do you say to that, Mike? Hey, I drop things all the time. <laughs> Have a baby. Almost dropped him today. So <laughs> I thought you were going to take credit for dropping, like dropping the baby, for like giving birth to the baby. And well, I was like, no, uh, no that, that has nothing to do with me. Barfed all over me today. Almost dropped him because of it. So, oh, okay. That's gross and terrible parenting. Good job. Yeah. There's a lot to get through to to today, but we're going to touch on the lockout as briefly as possible because I had my absolute fill of lockout garbage. I'm tired of it. Don't ever want to hear the word lockout again, but it's over. We got to talk about it a little bit so we know where everything stands. MLB and the MLBPA reached a deal, what, like a week ago, basically? The Players Association made some progress for their guys, especially players in the zero to three years of service time range. Uh, Minimum salaries went up for players, those players. They established a pre-arbitration bonus pool for players who excel in those zero to three service time years. So basically the agreement decreases the likelihood of manipulating service time, increases the amount that those players get paid. So they're not being sort of as much taken advantage of, I guess. It also raised the competitive balance threshold just a little bit, not a ton, which doesn't matter much for the Royals. They're never even close to it. Um, And so it's more for the bigger teams and more for the players who want those bigger teams to be able to spend money so they can make more money. Owners got the expanded playoffs the ones they wanted so they could make more money, but they only expanded 12 teams. So most people I hear say like, that's not a huge deal. As long as they're not washing out the meaning of the regular season by expanding it to 16, 14, things like that. So Mike, how do you feel about the negotiations and how we ended up overall? Well, I mean, we didn't even mention the things that probably are going to have the biggest impact on the field. Uh, The biggest one being the universal DH, the NL no longer have a DH. Uh, There's another provision in there that allows major league baseball to make rules changes a little bit faster. I think those are going to be the ones you notice most on the field. I think the universal DH thing is actually going to continue to have ramifications because they're going to start playing a lot more interleague games, a lot less uh, games within your division. And I think that's important because you're going to get, I think a truer balance of, or a truer idea of what a team is 
when they're not playing. And that might be really good for the Royals in the near term because it looks like their division could be really strong in the near term. And so I think that's a good thing. But I really hope the owners learned something from this. I doubt they did, but I hope they did learn that it's not a good idea to try and impact the long-term health of your game in the way that they were the sort of, and I know we've used this this phrase a lot, but the bad faith negotiating that they were doing throughout a good portion of this this, uh, lockout. And so I'm hoping that they learned something there and that the next time they have to do labor negotiations, it's a lot more amiable and it's a lot more towards what's best for the game in the long term, not what's best for my pocketbook today. You're absolutely right on that front. I bet they have learned something, but I think the thing that they probably will learn is that they can't win the media narrative so easily as they could in the past, right? And so the biggest thing I think that turned the table of these negotiations was the fact that the players got out front, had one unified message, and that a lot of the baseball writing community wasn't carrying the water of owners. Some of them were, right? Some of them work for MLB and have to, right? Like Jim Bowen works for MLB. Uh, Who's that dude who, oh, John Hyman. Is it John Hyman? He works for MLB. I think it's Hyman. Yeah, Yeah, Hyman. They they work for Major League Baseball. They're not journalists. They're public relations people. And that's fine. It's fine to be those things. But people treat them like journalists. And as a result, they have the ability to sort of sway the narrative in certain ways. The good thing is people outside of that bubble, outside the sphere and influence of MLB, Ken Rosenthal, Jeff Passan. Rosenthal was all over it. Yeah, the people at uh, well, he 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 left the sphere of MLB because of his criticisms of Rod Manfred. He yeah. will he and Jeff Pass and I think will be the two and Evan Drellich also from the Athletic will be the three who was really the day to day beat reporter of this lockout. I mean, he he was all over the details of the lockout at, at any given time. Those three will really be the story of media coverage of this lockout. It'll be Passan, it'll be Rosenthal, and it'll be Evan Drellich, and. It was those three, along with people at Fangraphs who weren't having it. Just a lot of people throughout the baseball writing world were not at all carrying the owner's water and were very sort of upfront and honest about the tactics that they were trying. And as a result, I think the lesson that owners, I hope they learn and they should learn, is that they're not going to be able to win the public relations narrative so easily as they were in the past. At the end of all of this, though, the thing that I'm sort of left with is this big question of, why? why? Why did all this happen? Like, it doesn't even seem to me like I look back and I was like, what was gained as a result of those 99 day lockout as a result of all this bad blood, all this delaying of things and so forth? What was gained? Nothing. Everything ended up right around roughly where everybody thought it would be. Everybody knew the universal DH would come. Everybody knew the owners would end up conceding some on minimum salaries and CBT thresholds and all these sorts of things, though everybody predicted not that much because they hold hold a bunch of power. So it all ends up right around where everybody thought it was. And all you've done is created animosity between these two groups, created animosity among the fans. There are still fans who are very pissed about the fact that there was a lockout. And for what? You gained nothing. I'm not, I'm not like uh, the Warren Buffett of the world. I'm not a huge businessman who knows very savvy things about business. But in my mind, if you hurt yourself and gain nothing from it, I call that bad business. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. 
We knew that free agency would be a madhouse once the lockout ended because there'd be so little time to get deals done before spring training started and was in full swing. And it has not disappointed. Big deals, small deals, they're breaking down the walls deals. It's insane out there. And for a while, it looked like the Royals would just sort of move through it with the serenity of a Shaolin monk. They would do nothing. They would just sit there calmly. But they finally jumped in in a very sort of Royals way, a way filled with nostalgia and and the ooey gooeys. You know, it started when the Royals traded Mike Miner for Amir Garrett, a solid move helping to bolster the bullpen and save some money. Then came the big deal. The Royals signed Sack Granke to a one-year, $13 million deal, setting alight the hearts of Royals Twitter like a Salvi smiling video. Yes, the Granke thing is fun. Granke is a fun, interesting dude with a tremendous backstory. He's the only dude who could demand a trade from a team and still be universally loved by its fan base. But I want to talk a little bit about the baseball of all these of these moves. I want to uh, what will Granky and Garrett do for this team moving forward? Mike, what do you think their role is going to be? What are they going to do to help the Royals? Well, I agree. It's odd that Granky demanded the trade, but I think at the time people were like, "Yeah, I wouldn't want to play for this team." Either. <laughs> you know? Like, and the return did help us push into a World Series with. Uh, the great Lorenzo Cain. Well, that's and the, the narrative, right? Escobar, so that's the narrative. He, he, he's like, I want to be traded to go to a winning team to win a world series. He gets, he demands the trade. They trade him. The Royals end up winning the world series. Granky still has never won a world series. It's kind of one of those one sort of the, sad things. I don't think so. I don't think so. I could be wrong there. Don't, don't, don't fact check me anybody, but anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> Granky demands the trade. He's still loved by the team. And I think you're right. Most people were like, yeah, I wouldn't want to play for him either. Uh, but anyway, the, the Amir Garrett, the Zach Granke deal, I think Garrett, if healthy is a useful piece, he struggled in 2020. Um, he struggled in 2021. He wasn't fully healthy. The last solid years he put together back to back were 18 and 19. And so, yeah, you got to hope that he can stay healthy, but he does provide a good piece. And I think it becomes more clear that the Royals are going to try and build a dominant bullpen to help out those, you know, that young starting pitching, uh, which is great. That if the, it, And then that's kind of the path that they took when they won the world series in 14 and 15, it was the innovative thing of the time. The Royals seem to just keep wanting to do that. I think it's a good idea. Uh, good from the left side power slider. Uh, I think he'll be a good piece. I'll talk a little bit more about how I think they'll use him later, but um, Zach Grinke, I hope my hope is that he benefits from that larger park and what seems like it's going to be a really strong defense behind him. Um, he did in the last few years, he has had a tendency to give up the home run a little bit, but he did play in Houston and it's easy to hit home runs in Houston. So uh, my hope is he benefits from the park and we get one year of vintage Granky. Yes. He's not going to, he's not going to throw uh, very hard and he's going to use his command to get ground balls. And that's kind of his game now. Um, it's also odd to me because I thought that they, I, we've been saying, or I've been saying from last year, I thought that they would do this. I thought they would go get a veteran pitcher, but I really thought it would be someone more in the vein of like a, like what James Shields was. Somebody you knew was going to come in and kind of mentor the younger kids. Granky doesn't strike me as that, you know, and maybe he is, and I just don't know it, but he does not strike me as like the, the guiding force that like Salvi does with the younger catchers, you know, he's going to help them but I, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who's the mentoring type. No, he's a much more introverted person, a sort of uh, quirky, 
kind of guy, but definitely not the type you you see being a real vocal presence, not the type of guy who seems overly concerned with mentoring and that sort of thing, which is no slight on him, you know, be who you are. That's, that's who he is. And that's why we love him as a player and as a personality. I think for the team as a whole, these two moves speak to the adding of depth and the adding of certainty. So the Royals with these two players get a little more depth in the bullpen, especially in the rotation and a little more certainty. This is a very young team, or at least the guys who they'll be really counting on as their window opens are going to be super young. So, you know, even the, in the, in the rotation singer, Koar, Lynch, Bubich, all those guys, Hernandez, they're young. Keller's even still pretty young. So, and none of them have had what we would consider sustained success in the rotation and the bullpen itself or the bullpen as well, you know, Barlow, Stamont, those guys have had some success and they're pretty much established, but the further you get down in that bullpen, the more it's like, okay, we want to add a little depth to make sure we're good from our number one guy out of the bullpen to our number eight guy out of the bullpen. And that's what adding Garrett does. And adding Granke adds a little bit more certainty and depth to that rotation. And so if you're, if you're asking yourself, like, how will they benefit from things like this, especially when you're talking about a division that's getting so much better, that's what, how they're going to benefit. They don't have to think about like, we're going to run out this pitcher who, you know, has been up and down in the majors. No, they're going to run out Granke every fifth day. They know what they're going to get. Yeah. As you said, it's going to be a pitch to contact kind of profile at this point, but He's very, very good at it. And he's, you know, a guy who last year, I think had a 4.17 ERA, which is a little bit higher than his, than his past. But you imagine that could go down in a park like Kaufman with a defense like the Royals are going to have. And so it'll be interesting to see sort of to watch him pitch and to watch a sort of different version of baseball than some of our other guys are going to run out there. The guys who are throwing 95 with these exploding sliders and so forth. But I guess that leads into our next question. Then he's 38 years old. What does he have left in the tank? He's going to do it with what I, I put on the rundown here as straight guile, you know? And it was weird because Mike Matheny kind of mentioned Greg Maddox the other day when talking about Granky's style of pitching now. He's not Greg Mad- what Greg Maddox was. Nobody's done that as well as Maddox did, you know, straight command and movement of every single pitch. That was insane. I would compare him more to a right-handed Mark Burley. Burley at the end of his career did not throw very hard, but he had fantastic command. And that's going to be what Zach Greinke relies on. And if you think about it, you remember when Greinke first came up? When he first came up, he's like 20 years old, just turned 20, I think. Wasn't ready to be in Major League Baseball, but the Royals had nothing else going on. And he didn't actually throw all that hard. He, But everybody knew he had fantastic command. So he's throwing like 90 to 91. And people were saying, well, he can throw harder than that, but it affects his command a little bit. And so he didn't. Well, then he goes back down and he struggles for a little while. He has the year off baseball in there somewhere, comes up to the Royals, is in the bullpen for a little while, throws a little harder and becomes the Zach Greinke that won a Cy Young and was traded to Milwaukee and went to L.A. Well, now he's kind of back to the the original version of Zach Greinke. Yeah, it really is. And he's got he's got this pitch mix that that helps him a lot, too. It's if you were just out there throwing sort of two dominant pitches like fastball slider and then he had like a third fringy one. He couldn't pitch throwing 89 anymore, but because he's got four really solid pitches, there's good movement on, you know, all of his secondary stuff. He can do it with just really good command. And that's what he really commands. Well, honestly, if you look at his heat maps and things like that, look at where he lives with that secondary stuff. It is all on the edges with the secondary stuff edges and out of the strike zone and things like that. And so 
he can place those secondary pitches anywhere inside the strike zone he wants. It's not just like, well, I'm, I'm, I can, I can command my secondary stuff, which for some guys means I can throw it either inside the strike zone or outside the strike zone. He has command with that secondary stuff within the strike zone. He can place it on the edges or, you know, wherever he wants it to go. If I want to be up with it or down with it or, you know, inside or outside with it. And that's, what's going to sort of set him apart. He's also an excellent fielder of his position. And so we're talking about like kind of a total package for him as a pitcher. That's going to make it easier for him to get a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. And a guy who's just done it so much that what, what situation is going to phase Zach Granke at this point. Another comparison here. Guess who were great fielders as pitchers? Maddox and Burley. <laughs> exactly. Greg Maddox and Mark Burley, both great fielding pitchers. So throw, throw Granky in, up in that category. Yeah. So I'm excited to see sort of what he brings to the table. I think uh, on the other piece of that, of the two deals that they've done so far, you're right about Garrett. He had a little bit of a down year last year. I'm wondering to myself, like, where does he slot in, in this bullpen? This bullpen doesn't look like it has a one dominant guy. They have a guy I think is probably their best or most valuable reliever in Scott Barlow, but they don't have a, you know, Wade Davis and his prime kind of guy. And so what do you think Garrett's role will be as he tries to slot into this already pretty good bullpen? Um, Well, I I wrote here on the rundown, I think he's going to be like a Jake Diekman, like we used him a few years ago. And and some people thought we might sign Diekman this off season. He's going to be a setup guy for our better guys, our Barlows, our Stalmots, possibly our Coleman's, our Brent's. I think he's going to be a guy that sets up those other guys, um, especially when you see lefties that are coming up because he does have quite a big difference in his splits on that. He's been really good against lefties and only kind of slightly above average against righties. Um, he's got a really good slider. Uh, I think that's going to kind of fit into his role. I almost said he's kind of like Jake Brents, but I think Brents' pitch mix is more uh, robust. I think he's Brents will throw a few more pitches and he'll mix it up a little bit more than what uh, Amir Garrett will. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. I think because the Royals, I hope the Royals don't try to like say, well, Barlow's our closer and we're rolling with him. I hope I hope Matheny continues to sort of reject the theory of roles in that way and just sort of say like, here are our best guys, number one to number eight. We're going to pitch the best ones in the most high leverage situations, or we're going to kind of find matchups that are beneficial. If he keeps doing that, I think you kind of put Garrett in that second tier of reliever for, for the Royals. Like you have your Barlow's, your Stamont's, your Coleman's. I think they're the top tier. They're your best guys. And then just below that, I think you have guys like Garrett, maybe Ronald Bolaños, if he's at his best and healthy and everything, Brents, uh, Brents and then a few other guys like if you Tapia and stuff like that, but they're the second tier, I think, but boy, does he add depth to it? I mean, we're talking one through eight of guys who are really, really good relievers for the Royals. I think they are going to have a very good bullpen, even if it is devoid of that universal all-time great closer or, or reliever like Wade Davis was for us at one time. You know, it's not HDH, right? So when the Royals ran out with HDH, they had three really dominant relievers and then a couple really good ones. Now it's just going to be more like hopefully one through eight are either really good or pretty good. And so that's more, they're kind of doing it more by committee. They're trying to sort of, it's hard to find those super dominant guys. And so it's better to then, just sort of And then you can never out. keep them. That's the problem. Unless you can't you, keep them. Unless you identify them early, you can never keep them. You can so. also rarely count on them to remain super dominant. Bullpen volatility is a thing, right? Like it's rare when guys have long stretches of, of careers that are dominant as dominant relievers, just because 
throwing that hard is really hard on your body. And, you know, the league catches up to you when they see you more and things like that. It's just, it's tough to be a reliever that lasts for a long time. And so spreading it out and just saying, we're going to have a whole bunch of really good guys, which means when our top three guys have, have all pitched too much recently, we're not worried about sending out our next five guys, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? And so I think that's actually a pretty decent strategy to say, we want to be really good in the bullpen one through eight and not just sort of our top three guys be dominant. I think that sort of will speak well for in, in terms of results as the season moves on, especially we saw this bullpen get burnt last year or early in the year, like after two months, our bullpen was toast. Hopefully the depth will sort of prevent that from happening this year. I think I'd be slapped in the soft parts a few times if I didn't bring up the sort of other big deal the Royals are rumored to be interested in. It's been the talk of Twitter for the last couple of days. The Oakland A's are currently selling off all of their players. I think they're going to turn the team into a crypto farm or something. I'm not really sure. Don't quote me on that. Uh, But the Royals are interested, reportedly interested in trading for Frankie Montas. He's a 28-year-old pitcher who had a real breakout year last year going 13 and nine with a 3.37 ERA, a 3.37 FIP and a 3.63 strikeout to walk ratio, which is really, really good. Mike, what do you think of the idea of trading for Montaz and what would you be willing to give up to get him? Well, I just want to say, yeah, last year was Montaz's breakout year. And the year before that, he had a little bit of a rough year. He had had some marginal success in the years prior to that. Um, but he had never done it for the full length of a season. That's because he got like, popped for PEDs. Ah, dang it, Montaz. What are you yeah, doing, man? He got popped for PEDs in 19. He was on, he was doing well in 19 in like 16 starts. And then he got popped with a suspension for PEDs. Yeah. Thanks a lot, brother. I, I, that's not on this fan graph. Not that, the, not that that's not that that's <laughs> not, not that that's not a thing that would keep the Royals away. I mean, yeah. Alberto Montes, he got popped for PEDs, you know, like yeah, we're, we're good. I don't care. Forgive and forget. Um, but last year is the first time he really pitched the amount of innings that you want to see. So he pitched, I think 187 innings last year. So I I like the idea of Montaz because I think he's a stabilizing force that you can get. He's not a number one probably, but he's just below that. Um, it's not like getting James Shields though. I've heard a couple of people say that in the past. He does not have the track record that James Shields had when we traded for him back in the day. He's also Um, much younger. Yeah, he is younger. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, I, but I do like the idea now because there's two years of control left for Montas before he uh, gets out of it, you know, gets his free agent contract. So um, you could use him for this year and then really reassess what you want. If, if you think it's going well, it's like, yep, for sure we are ready to explode in 2023, then you keep him and you use him. Okay. If you say, nope, we're way far away. None of our young pitchers panned out. We're screwed. You can still trade him for some value. So I like the idea that you have two years of control with him still, but you have to think what we would we have to give up? I'd be willing to give up a guy like Kowar. Um, I'd be willing to maybe even give up a guy like Lynch as like the staple of this trade. You probably have to throw in a bat that's somewhat close as well. I don't like the idea of giving up on Vinny Pascutino because I think he's going to be a good hitter at the major league level. Um, but he no, might you're not, be the you're not giving guy. up on him. You're getting you're something in value. Yeah, back. yes, I know. But I, you know what I mean? I, I don't want to give that away. Um, but when I looked at the bats and I thought about it, I was like, Hey, who else is you really going to be able the reason is you can't give, you can't, you cannot trade away Lofton at this point. You know, he's the other bat that I was like, maybe you could, maybe, maybe they take Michael Massey. Maybe he's the other guy that maybe think about there, but you cannot get rid of Lofton because he's your only possible option in center field moving forward. So yeah, Pascantino, maybe, or if there's somebody else that you think might work there. Michael Massey, somebody like that. And then a lower level miners guy that's more of a, you know, lottery ticket at this point. 
I couldn't think of any off the top of my head. Let's see. Still, still blanking on him. Uh, yeah. I mean, you can go with certain guys like Peyton Wilson or like uh, yeah, who, I and so. I, I think Oakland is interested in guys who might move quickly. And so Wilson is a guy who might move quickly. If you were really, you know, willing to risk it, you could try like an, uh, a Pena and Eric Pena. Uh, I thought about him, but then but I thought there's no way the Royals are going to upside's real high for him. So, yeah. you know, um, there are other guys down there that I think you could, you could give a look to, um, you could go Ben Hernandez if you wanted to look pitching and somebody like said that. Ben, Ben Kaderna. I'm like, no, no I don't want to give up. That's ben, no. a, that's mm. yeah. That's like a, he would be this have to be the centerpiece of, of a, of a thing. I'm not giving up him in addition to Pasquantino and Coar. Mm. Um, yeah, but the guys that one of the things that complicates this this trade scenario for the Royals is one everybody Royals, everybody wants him. Yeah, That's all, <laughs> the entire AL Central is in on Montas. That's no joke. <laughs> Reportedly, the entire AL Central is in on Montas. They they all want him. Everybody knows Oakland is fire sailing, so the Yankees are in on him. The whole AL Central, everybody is in on Montas, and so the odds of the Royals getting him are tiny. But they do have a really stacked farm system that they could use. They have an attractive package for a team like the Oakland A's. And they have a problem that could sort of also facilitate a trade. Right now, their 40-man roster is full. And this offseason, they had to make moves to fill it with guys like Menlendez, Prado, all those guys, Mark, Mikhail Garcia. And Bobby Wood Jr. ain't even on there yet. Bobby Wood Jr. ain't even on there yet. He's going to have to be put on there too. The problem is a whole bunch of other really good guys like Pasquantino and so forth are going to have to be put on it next winter. And so they're facing another 40-man roster crunch, and that sort of provides incentive for them to trade guys who are either currently on the 40-man roster, like Kowar, Lynch, Bubich, Singer, all those guys, or trade those guys who are who need to be put on the 40-man next winter, like Pasquantino and a few others. So I think that makes sense in terms of uh, incentive to go ahead and make this trade. I also just like this trade. I think I I'm a fan. I don't, some people I think put too much weight, especially fans of teams like the Royals that have to build internally. They put way too much weight on prospects. They're like, okay, but this prospect's really, really good. And I was like, I know he's good. And that's the thing. A lot of them are good, but you have to, at some point, try and win, right? At some point you have to give it a shot and try to win. You can always say like, well, we'll just wait till next year, or the next year, or the next year. You can say that every year, okay? And so at some point, just try and win. And I know it's going to be tough for the Royals. The White Sox are really good. The Twins just aren't signed Carlos Correa. It's going to be tough. But, you know, there's no time like the present. And you have to you have to do something because your, your 40 man's getting insanely squished. So one of the, on Twitter, I proposed like a Frankie uh, Pascontino and a Coar and a, somebody else, like a lottery ticket. I have a different idea for, for the podcast here. I think I would like to try giving them Mikhail Garcia, Jackson Coar, and Austin Cox. I think that's, if we're thinking about what Oakland would want, here's what that does for the Royals. Garcia and Coar are both on the 40-man roster. So it gets two guys off the 40-man. And it also gives up Garcia, which is a position of strength for them, shortstop. They have a lot of good shortstops, including Nick Lofton, who can play shortstop. And they all, and you know, of course, they have Bobby Witt Jr. who can play shortstop. They have Alberto Mondesi right now and Nicky Lopez. Shortstop is not going to be an immediate concern for them in the future. Gives up a, a shortstop prospect who is a great glove, but I'm not sure is going to hit enough as he moves forward. Coar is a guy, kind of guy that Oakland wants. He's major league ready, basically, in terms of age. And so they, I think they would like that. Cox is also close to 
the major leagues in terms of his progression. That's what Oakland's looking for. They're looking to make this a quick rebuild. And so I think a package like that would be something I would be willing to give up. Garcia is pretty good. Coar is pretty good. Cox is pretty good. None of these guys are like going to be superstars probably, but Oakland probably thinks, oh, if we can get Garcia to hit, he could be a really valuable piece. And if they could, he would be, but you have to give up something to get something. So I'd be happy to give up Garcia, Coar, and Cox. Yeah, I'm not I'm not as high on Austin Cox as a lot of people are. So if that's why he's the third. That's why he's the third yeah. piece to me. I wouldn't give up like Jonathan Boland or Alec Marsh or even um Drew Parrish. I like Drew Parrish better than I like Austin Cox. And so, you know, I'd be willing to give up Cox just because I think yeah, he's an upper level arm who doesn't really have who I don't think is going to be hugely valuable. He's kind of a fringy fourth five guy. I can't remember who it was that, that I saw on Twitter the other day, but somebody had put into one of the online deals. And it that like matches value for those things. Mm-hmm. And Asa Lacey was in there with another top level guy. I think that was, I think that was the guys at Royals for, or Royals review. Who did and, that? And I was like, oof, I don't know if, and, and at that level, I was like, no, I couldn't. No, you can't give up that level of things. I don't remember who the, the other top marquee guy was, but I remember Asa Lacey was in there and I was like, I don't think that's going to fly. Well, the reason that's not going to fly is because. I think the Royals believe that Lacey is a top 30 talent in, in major league baseball. It works with that little formula because that formula probably doesn't view him as a top 30 yeah. talent. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that, that formula probably views him as like maybe a top 100, maybe in the 70 to 100 range, but definitely not as high as the Royals view him. And so I just don't think that Lacey is going to be a part of any sort of deal for anybody. Honestly, I think he's, he, along with Melendez, and obviously Bobby Wood Jr. and and Prado and maybe um no maybe it's just those guys I think those four are sort of the untouchables uh, Lofton's probably close to untouchable just because of you know, where he sort of is and their lack of outfield talent but I think uh, I think Lacey's untouchable. The Royals will play a bunch of spring training games this week. We're not going to preview them because they're spring training games. (laughs) Anything can happen during them. Who knows who's pitching? It's a crazy nightmare uh, to try and track those games. Instead, we're going to use what would normally be our preview segment to talk about the news out of spring training so far. Big news item number one. Mike, can I get a drum roll? Something. You're feeling like dead weight around here. I'm chilling. Okay. Big news item number one. The starting infield. Mike Matheny sprung a surprise on people by announcing the other day that Adalberto Mondesi is, quote, is our shortstop, indicating that Mondesi will get the bulk of the starts at short. This has pretty much solidified what the Royals' preferred lineup will look like with Bobby Witt Jr. at third, Mondesi at short, Lopez at second, Santana at first, and Merrifield Taylor and Benintendi in the outfield with Salvi behind the plate and probably Dozier DHing. That'll rotate in various ways. And obviously, guys, We'll sort of rotate in quite a bit because I don't think Bonas is going to play every game. But Mike, I figured I'd give you a chance to sort of talk about that that solidified lineup, solidified infield. Well, something I just thought of, I if that's the case, I really hope. Actually, I don't know. Gosh, what do you do with Prado? Do you put him on the big league club and then have him be that rotation piece at DH and first base so that he can hit righties? I don't know. No. Uh, or do you give him every day at bats down in triple they'll, they'll never do that. They'll give him every day at bats. <laughs> um, anyway, I figured that Merrifield is probably going to be going to right field anyway, because we just don't have any production in the outfield available to us. Like you could, yeah, sure. You could put a hundred Dozier out there. No guarantee. He's going to hit. 
and he's terrible at defense. Yeah, that's so, what they really don't have is they don't have any defense in the outfield. They don't have defensive options. I, mean, I guess Isbell is, is a defensive option, but you know. Yeah, but we don't know if they like him. He he may be the next Olivares for all we know. <laughs> um, so that that was not surprised to me. Whit Merrifield and, and right field seemed like kind of the only choice that they could make. I'm a little bit surprised that they're deferring to Mondesi at shortstop because of his lack of ability to stay healthy and because of the fact that your star coming in the future guy plays shortstop. And you would think they would do everything they can to cater to him. Now, I do kind of understand there's some people saying, well, why would you move um, Nicky Lopez off of short when he had such a great year defensively and offensively there last year? It's because he doesn't have the ceiling of Mondesi or Bobby Witt Jr. That's why you're doing it. And you know he can play a gold glove level second baseman as well. And so simple to move him over. I get that. I'm a little bit surprised that it's not Bobby Witt Jr. playing shortstop and Mondi playing third, though. Yeah, I think I think you're right there. What I'll be interested to see is what happens on the days when Mondi isn't playing shortstop. I think Bobby Witt Jr. is going to get some games at short this year, I think. I mean, if, if he's not playing short, does that, I think we are all assuming that Nicky Lopez goes to short and Witt goes to second, and that will probably be the arrangement, but I think there are probably going to be days when, yeah, when Mondesi doesn't play short, Bobby Wood Jr. plays short, Nicky stays at second, maybe Dozier plays third or, or Emmanuel Rivera or somebody plays, plays third. And so it'll be interesting to see the way they move it around. It's actually a good problem to have. They have a lot of really talented defensive infielders and that's fine. Uh, I'm actually, I don't care. I can't care too much. I can't get worked up enough about sort of their infield alignment because I think Bobby Witt Jr. is probably only going to be an above average or maybe good, maybe just a good shortstop. I don't think he'll be a gold glove shortstop. I think he'll be a good shortstop. I think he could be a gold glove third baseman. I think his athleticism, his arm, he has everything you need as a third baseman to be a gold glover. He'll be much more athletic than your average third baseman. He has a rocket for an arm over there at third. He'll be the fastest third baseman in the league. I guarantee it. And so why not let him try and be gold glove third? You have a potential gold glove at shortstop and you have a gold glove at second. This is an incredible defensive alignment. Yeah. And I think that's the only reason the Royals do something like this. They must feel that Mondesi is, is at least a step above both Nicky Lopez and Bobby Witt Jr. Short. They, they have to, I mean, at least more consistent or something. Um, because you're, you're talking about a guy who playing that position may end up only playing 60 games or something. You know what I'm saying? So I think they had to decide that. The other thing I wanted to say that I forgot to throw in there, I'm really hoping Santana has like a monster spring and then gets traded. That's what um, I was thinking when you said the Prado thing. I'm like, there's a chance that he has a monster spring, gets traded before the spring ends, and Prado just starts, you know, starts at first base on opening day. That is really my hope. And that was kind of what everybody was talking about when the universal DH came in. Well, now there's a bigger market for Carlos Santana. Get him to another team that isn't this team. I, I like Carlos Santana. He's got one a skill that doesn't slump and doesn't, you know, what's so funny. The way you said that just cracked me up that get him to another team that isn't this team. <laughs> It's just, he doesn't fit with this team. I don't right care now. what kind yeah. of team. Send him to the KBP or whatever. What is no, it? KBO. KBO. Send him to the KBO. <laughs> hey, so, yeah. I bet Carlos Send Santana him to the Nippon Dragons or whatever they're called. Okay. Um, no, I think he's got some value, but this team is getting a lot younger and Prado is ready now. And Melendez is probably ready now too. So if you get Santana out of here, it opens up the first base and DH uh, situation a little bit more. 
I think that's the way to go. He's got some value still because he'll still take walks. So there's teams, NL or AL, that can really use a Carlos Santana still. It just doesn't, he just doesn't seem to fit with us right now. So. Right. And if it really was that hip flexor injury that was, that caused his huge nosedive in the second half and he looks like he can hit again and a team takes him good and he goes and hits and that sort of thing. Good. At this point, the Royals should be looking to basically just give him away. And so give him away addition by subtraction, let him go hit for another team and let Prado come up and sort of start establishing himself. He looks ready. He plays a great defensive first base. If Prado plays first base for them, I think hands down, they have the best infield in baseball. With Prado, Lopez, Mondesi, and Witt Jr., at least the best defensive, right? And so that's just such a, a compelling thing to do, trying to support your young pitching staff and all this stuff. I, I can't imagine why you wouldn't do that if, if the opportunity arises. I don't think it's going to. I think teams are going to want to see more than just spring training to get Santana. I would just hate, I hate wasting the time. Uh, like playing Santana, because it is a waste of time at this point. And you're saying to yourself, we're not trying to be competitive in 2022 because we're not playing our best players. And so I'm just, I'm not a fan of that approach. Again, we have said it a thousand times, complained about it a thousand times. They should have traded him at mid- midpoint last year. If that had happened, things would be a lot better right now. But, you know, such is life. The, talk- only thing, the only thing I could see them doing this is they're maybe afraid that if Prado comes up and struggles right away, then where do you go? In that sense, I think you got Hunter Dozier. He can play first. I was going to say, they don't have, they have options at first base. It's not like, you know, you know, Witt has played first in the past, right? Like, and so I don't think that would be an issue, you know, play Dozier, play, you know, I'm just saying this is what I probably, what I think the Royals might be thinking. I mean, in my mind, get him up now. If he's going to have the struggles, let him have them now. And, you know, because, He's ready. Like there's nothing he's going to do at AAA. You're going to be like, now he's ready. He's ready now. He's crushing, or I should say, in the one game they've had so far, he crushed. He crushed. And so I don't know what they're going to, I don't know what they're waiting for, honestly. Like, honestly, I think they're just waiting for a deal for Carlos Santana, but that deal's not coming anytime before June, July. And so you might as well just move on in my mind. Speaking of those young hitters, it's only been one game, but they are looking great so far. And I, I wanted to talk about that one game and the way they looked because it, it caused a lot of excitement. You're hearing a lot of great reports at a camp about the way they're looking. Bobby Witt Jr. went two for two with a double in yesterday's game. We're recording this on Saturday, March 19th. So they've only played their one game against the Texas Rangers. But Bobby Witt Jr. went two for two with a double. He also legged out a squibber, uh, which you get to really see his speed when he hits those. He gets a bunch of infield hits based solely on his uh, speed. And it caused me to uh, critique MLB Pipeline put out their hundred top 100 prospects the other day. Witt was number one, as he should be. Uh, but they gave him a 60 grade on his speed. It's and I'm ridiculous. Like, what are you smoking ridiculous. over there? And MLB Pipeline, Mike wants some. Um, yeah. 60 grade speed is nuts <laughs> for, uh, for, Bo- for Bobby Witt Jr. He is 70. I've ever, he's the 70th speed I've ever seen. And so yeah. it's great to watch him like prove it by like squibbing them out there. He gets a bunch of infield hits that way. Um, Prado went two for two. He was the offensive player of the day yesterday. He went two for two with a home run and a walk. That guy uh, against Jack Leiter. Yep. Too. Hit his bomb off Jack Leiter, who was the number one overall pick, I believe. If he wasn't number one, draft. he was, he was the sensation. Oh no, yeah, you're baseball. right. You're right. Uh, Mayer was number one. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, Prado was sensation of college baseball from Vanderbilt. Went in the top five. Amazing. Not Prado, uh, Leiter, Leiter, Jack Leiter, yeah. Jack Leiter, uh, Prado hit his home run off of him. It was a no doubt monster to center field. Uh, for those of you who got a chance to see it, 
Melendez went over one, but he also had a walk and Pasquantino went over O and also had a walk. They all had walks. Um, we've mentioned that this shortened spring training is going to give these guys less of a chance to show what they can do and even try and make the team. Bobby Wood Jr. I think he's a make it. I think he's making the team barring health issues. He's on the opening day roster. The rest of these guys looks like they're probably going to triple a Mike. What are you thinking about how the young hitters are doing and the kind of hope they give us for the future? Uh, be still my beating heart because it was awesome to watch them come out and do that yesterday. First off walks. We took some walks, man. Walks. It was awesome. Like at one point, the three of them walked consecutively. Oh my gosh. How great was that? It seemed like there were guys on base like all day long and mm-hmm. it was so great. Yeah. It's unbelievable to see Bobby Witt Jr. <laughs> Still, it seems like when he gets to a new level, he gets more anxious and he swings a little bit more mm-hmm. and stuff. And so he'll get through that. He'll get over that. He always does. But that's what I kind of felt on that first one. The cue ball that he hit over to the first baseman uh, was like, okay, he's, he's geared up. He's ready to go. Um, the second hit looked a lot better for the, the key for Prado. Prado is going to strike out. That's going to, that's going to happen quite a bit, but the key for him is he taking walks when he's taking walks, his approach at the plate is so much better that he's actually hitting the, the ones he does swing at. He's hitting with a lot more authority. And yeah, so that's really good to see. Um, I'll be anxious to see when Melendez hits his first, his first bomb. Cause you know, it's going to be a big one. Oh yeah. Um, I expect that's another thing that, that I don't know if anybody else looked at the MLB pipeline grades as closely as I did, but they gave, they, they put Melendez on the top 10 catchers list, you know, and they gave him like, they, they gave Rutschman a higher power score than him. They were like, they, they sort of ranked everyone uh, one to 10. And they said, who has the best power? Who has the best defense? They gave Rutschman the best power. I'm like, uh, did Rutschman lead the minors in home runs last year? I don't think so. Uh, I don't know how you give that to anyone other than Melendez. They gave him 60 grade power. His power is more than that. Uh, and so he's a guy, I can't wait to see his first big hit. I think you're right about Prado. Prado's an interesting dude uh, as a hitter. His profile is interesting. I don't know that he'll ever hit above 270. I think it'll be very common for him to hit like around 260, maybe even 250. But I also think it'll be fairly common for him to have an OBP 100 points higher than that. And so if he if he goes 260, 360, 500, which looks like he could do, that's amazing. Like and plays Gold Glove first base, that's incredible. Uh, what what production that would be out of first base? Production we haven't seen at first base for the Royals in how long? Like. I don't know. Like mm. Hosmer was never really that either, you know? And he so was, he, he never walked enough to be that. Uh, he, maybe, he maybe had one season that sort of compared to that. So I yeah. think it'll be really exciting to see what Prado does in the majors might strike out a bit too much to start. It is going to be a slight, it's going to be a significant jump in competition, triple a quite a bit easier than MLB, but let him take his lumps. That's what I say. Let him take his lumps now and see what we got. Well, it's nice to be back to this weekly thing. I like the weekly episodes. Uh, so now we're going to end our first weekly episode back with our Just A Bit Outside segment, where we share something that caught our interest outside the world of baseball this week. Mike, what has caught your interest outside the world of baseball? Spring break. Woohoo! Woohoo! Right, uh, I just started spring break, maybe. One of the perks of being in the education game is once a year in the spring, right as you're about to have the the mental breakdown to end all mental breakdowns, they give you a week off. And so <laughs> that is the got, best way to describe spring break I've ever heard for, for oh, a teacher's it, perspective, right? Man, when you're on the verge of losing if, it and just driving you, your car through a school. If you could do like uh, internet browser searches of teachers, 
you will find the week before spring break more searches for other jobs than you will ever find <laughs> at any other time. In the I year. got indeed bookmarked. Okay? Oh yeah. It's like, uh, they're looking up places to move. They're looking up, you know, what if I just moved jobs. into the woods and became yeah. a farmer? Oh God. That, that's those kinds we, of fantasies. We you all know have that. We do every those, yeah. single one of us. And so, yeah, it's nice to be on spring break. I'm going to get to hang out. Uh, normally my wife and I travel on spring break, but this year with the new baby, we're going to chill and hang out with the new baby and, and you and I are going to go have some fun on Monday, hopefully. Um, it's supposed to rain. That's a bummer. But yeah, I'm excited to be on spring break. Who isn't? You know, my, my spring break comes a week after yours. So I will, uh, I'll be on spring break the week after. Cannot wait. Thought about going down to Arizona for spring break. Cause like, because they were delayed, it sort of makes my spring break really align with spring training. But then I was like, eh, do you want to drive down to Arizona? Do you want to, let's just, we, uh, um, we did that a few years ago. It was awesome. <laughs> I'll make it down at some point that's going to happen. But uh, for this year, I think I should probably just let things settle, you know? And that's what I want to talk about. Like this recently, I had to do this thing. I just told you about, I had to watch a puppy at my house for a week and it was a gosh darn nightmare. Um, and so I spent the whole week basically working from home and it made me realize how much I hate working from home. <laughs> so on Friday was the first day I could go back into the office and I went into the office and I just felt a thousand times lighter. I was like, this is so much better to be hanging out. Now, to be fair, uh, let me describe the conditions of my office. Okay. So like I work in an office by myself. I have my own office. There's no one else around me. And that's sort of what makes it amazing. So I just hang out in my office all the time. And that's where I can actually get work done. If I need to do work, that's also where I can just chill if I need to chill. So I'll just like, I watched the movie, Charlie Lee Wilson's war while I was having lunch yesterday or on Friday. Yeah, that's yesterday. And so I, I found out, I used to think to myself like, Oh, wouldn't it be great to work from home? Wouldn't have to go into the office. Now I'm like, get me into the office. I'm privileged. I don't have to worry about COVID or anything like that. Because as I said, I'm literally in an office by myself. Uh, there's no one else in there, but it's pretty, pretty nice. I got to be honest with you. Not, I'm done with working from home as much as I can be. Yeah, I kind of like the idea of working from home. But now that there's a newborn in my house that cries every two hours because he's hungry, going to work has been somewhat of a <laughs> nice respite. <laughs> now, when I'm at work for eight hours listening to kids cry about stupid stuff every two hours, then I want to come home. But you know, so, so, soon you're going to be just chilling in parking lots to get exactly. to like get some, some, some this is my this car is my fortress of solitude. <laughs> this cheeseburger uh, is my, you know, methadone. it's my life. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, that's that could be the case. But uh, yeah, I understand that uh, completely. I've, I've longed for that uh, setup. Although, I, I, honestly, I could, I could work from home. I think when we were doing it uh, last year, two years ago now. I, I enjoyed it. I honestly did. Now I did have to once a day, I had to get in the car and go somewhere. I didn't mm -hmm. necessarily have to get out of the car when I got there, but I'd have to at least drive around a little bit or I'd get friggin' stir crazy and go nuts. Yeah. I think, I think stir crazy makes more sense. I live in a tiny apartment and so it's easier for me to like get stir crazy. There's not a whole lot of different places to go in my apartment. Right. Like, mm -hmm. and so, you know, I, getting out is something that I think has become extra important to me in the last a couple of weeks dealing with this puppy and just sort of, I, you know, my office is a wonderful place, you know, and so, and the weather's getting nicer. I just want to be outside more, you know, so uh, hopefully it gets super, super nice here in Kansas city. As we move towards opening day, it's going to be in Kansas city this year, opening series against the Cleveland guardians here in Kansas city. We will be back to you next week 
with more to talk about from spring training. We'll be watching a lot of spring training games this week. A lot of them are going to be televised as free games on MLB.tv. So you don't have to buy a subscription and give your money to the evil MLB. You can just watch them if you want to. Uh, We'll be back next week, but until then, be good to each other. And And go Royals. Royals.